left field casting idea. Jack Black is the fool. <laughs> That'd be pretty fantastic. I mean, come on. I think he could nail it. In everything but appearance. An all Jack Black film, a la The Nutty Professor. <laughs> Welcome back to another episode of Is Fitz Happy? I'm Luke. And I'm Emma. And this week we're discussing chapter 24, The Skill Road. Beginning of this chapter is talking about, well, it's more so Fitz's musings. At least we're, again, assuming that it's Fitz. Right. His musings on the source or the uh, where magic comes from, whether anybody can learn it or whether you are born with it, and the consequences of either of those options. Specifically... Talking about if you are born with it, can those certain traits be bred into somebody? And I have highlighted, could a wizard of great power be deliberately created by one desiring to do so? Could one breed for magic in a child as one breeds a horse for strength or speed? Or select a babe and begin instruction before the child could even speak? Or build one's house where one might tap the magic where the earth is richest with it? These questions so frighten me that I have almost no desire to pursue the answers, save that if I do not, another may. And this is very interesting to me because I'm not sure if Robin Hobb knew where her series was going to go, or if Claris was a big bad in the back of her mind manipulating everything behind the scenes, right? or where she was in the creation of that, or if she just followed this particular thought to its conclusion of like, of course, the world is old, and of course people would try to manipulate and abuse the power and gather it as much as they could. Right. I feel like it's kind of the latter one, and she wasn't writing this part with Clarice in mind. This could be like an early draft situation where this is like something that she herself was wrestling with when building the world. Yeah. I feel like that's a lot of the musings here is... Yeah. On the nature of magic and things like that, or ideas that she could build off of later. That's fair. Yeah, I think this idea is really interesting because as far as I personally can tell, it seems like something that somebody is inherently born with. There seems to be some people who have no talent for the skill whatsoever, who can't hear dragons speak, and who aren't affected by the skill when somebody who is a powerful skill user is trying to manipulate them. Same thing with wit. You have to be born right. with it as well. And then on the other hand, I don't know about hedge witch magic or, you know, scrying or any of those more quote unquote mundane things. Right. It feels like people can learn scrying. Even though Chade says, like, Fitz didn't want to, <laughs> you know, like, right. it feels like somebody has to want to learn in a particular, but Chade didn't seem like only certain people can learn. That's fair, but yeah, I guess we don't know because Fitz probably wouldn't be very willing to learn another thing to make him weirder. Yeah, and since we see through his lens and no other magic users, mm -hmm. except for Elderling Magic, 
I guess <laughs> we see in Tumulta's mind a little bit, but not when she actually is an elderling later right. on in the series right. when she can actually do that. So, yeah, I don't know. It's 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 hard to tell. That's kind of our only viewpoint into the magic of this world. Yeah, it's definitely interesting to think about, especially the line that could you build a house where the skill is stronger and just keep bringing up babies from before they can even talk. I think that's like an interesting concept because it kind of feels like that's what similar to what the Farseers did. We know that the Farseer blood runs very strongly with skill, potential and power. Regal seems to be an odd one out for not really being able to use his own skill power on like through his own merit. But for the most part, it seems like most royal people, bastard or not, have some proficiency with the skill. And a lot of the cousins are skill touched. And occasionally there are people who aren't for sure from the Farseer line that pop up throughout history. But quite a few, actually. That's all the coteries are made of. But I mean, how far away are the coteries relation-wise, with the Farseers. I mean, in the past, there were multiple, multiple coteries, and I'm pretty sure it's not all royal relations. And it's remarked on here that it's often when, you know, out-islander blood mixes with the blood of the Six Touchies, and that can happen on raids. That's true. Forcefully, things like that. And when the call goes out, the skill call, people trickle in from all over. The six touchies. That's fair. I guess I'm thinking of like the royal line in England and how they have it even today. And back in the day when there wasn't social media to keep people connected, they had it traced out to like the hundredth person. There are ways to have the bloodline very extended in the family. So I don't know. I think it's like an interesting thought exercise to go through and see. Could it potentially just be all Farseers? Probably not. That's very unlikely that only one family has it. But it's not impossible that the old coterie groups were mostly Farseers. Yeah, it's not impossible, definitely. Could be distant cousins or whatever. Right. I don't know. I just think it's definitely possible to manipulate these things, and that's kind of, like you said, what the Whites are doing. In some ways. In some ways, I mean, they are. Well, I don't know if they're specifically caring about what the Farseers are doing at the moment to bring them strength. I mean, I think that they were trying to... Oh, I'm not talking about Claris in terms of the Farseers. They don't care about the Farseers at all. Yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah, no, they don't care. I was talking about specifically just magic in general and how they're have a breeding program for children. Oh, you meant their magic. I thought you meant yes. magic as a whole. No, but they, I mean, they are using skill as well. Uh, the people of Claris and the Whites there. Is so. it skill if they're touching silver? Because I don't think that's the same. Yes, because uh, people, or at least it's similar enough where Perseverance was not affected by Vendelier's magic. Vendelier? That's how I pronounce it. Whichever one, how you pronounce it, Yes. And he is not affected by skill because he's just, that's the way he was born. Right. So whatever power that uh, Vindelier or uses was not, you know, it, it, it 
acts and behaves the same way as the skill. Fair enough. Where it's close enough to the skill where I, I, I see no difference in it because it's it's doing the same thing that Verity was doing, just on a mass localized scale right. with more power. Interesting. I guess I see it as more artificial in a way, but then I guess that lends to it could be taught to anyone as long as you had the means to give them the skill in its raw form and it will kill them. But maybe in a couple of thousand years, they'll figure it out. I'll have to reread exactly what, what was going on with those programs, but I believe they were, yes, breeding children and breeding to try to get, you know, whites that exhibited right. some sort of magic so they could have it in house and control that. But on the other hand, they were also doing experiments with the serpent spit and silver right. in general. But I thought those were kind of separate. I thought they were trying to do two separate things. And that's why Dwalia has, you know, knowledge of the skill pillars. And when they uh, degloved, I guess, Ugh, uh, I don't like that. the fool's hand <laughs> to oh, get the you. skill, they could use the skill pillars because they just have a, a superior knowledge of how the magic and everything like that works. But I thought the, the whites themselves were a separate magic program but it, i mean they could definitely be mixing the two and experimenting so yeah it's a a gross place definitely it starts out early afternoon when they are trudging along one of the days after they have left jean pay and have came upon from their trail to the giant or major trading road that they had seen on the map. Yes, this is the one the night before Katrickin pointed out, saying that we will have to go on this road for some time. Mm -hmm. And so they continued along that, passing some people, passing some villages. Fitz couldn't tell if anybody had recognized that this was Katrickin, you know, daughter of the sacrifice. There's no sign of that anywhere. And the trail grew narrower in some places. And eventually they there came a day when they were traveling along this where they didn't encounter any villages at all. And they were losing track of where this road was leading. So obviously the well-traveled parts of this were behind them. And there was some doubt and some thought of where to go from Ketrakin. Some nights she was like staring at the map. Eventually, Fitz kind of came over by her and was like, hey, you know, what's going on? Not exactly, but <laughs> well, she, she points out that, like, we're here. We have to get here. There's nothing in between. I thought it was going to be easy. So she is not confident and doesn't put hope into anybody else traveling. But nevertheless, they move on. Right. She specifically says that she supposes they will just go forward and hope for luck to guide them. So they continue along the way and continue along the way. And it's just snow and forests. And Fitz kind of remarks upon the, the fact that everyone was kind of feeling that they might just be hopelessly lost. Right. Not knowing their way back or anything like that. And eventually Night Eyes stumbles upon it first. The old skill road. Before Night Eyes stumbles upon it, though, there's a moment when Fitz senses wit almost coming from the trees that maybe by virtue of how old they are 
they have gained some some semblance of life and it made him feel like an ant because he had never even thought that maybe the trees might disdain him. Yeah. <laughs> so I thought that was really interesting that we have the first mention of a plant giving off a wit. This is significant to me specifically because I think when I read this, Fitz notes that forged people give off no wit sense to him like a rock. And it just is really interesting to see that, like, potentially there is a baby amount of wit coming off of other plants. Living things. Yes, yes. living things just give some innate sense of something. But these trees give enough for Fitz to really notice. So Fitz points out the direction that Night Eyes kind of indicated where he first says, I like this not at all. So Fitz points out that direction. They go over there. And Fitz thinks about him talking out loud and how it sounds to himself. He says, my puny human voice seemed like a fly's buzzing in a great hall. I was almost surprised when she heard me and looked back. So this is the first indication that something's off with his head, getting close to the skill road. We see it progress further and further through this. It just feels like he's already kind of getting fuzzy to me. Oh, I didn't think that at all. I thought because they had just spent two days walking in basically just dense forest with nothing around that it was remarkable that he actually has a voice in this quietness. Yeah, could be that too. I just kind of fitted into the other symptoms that he, be, yeah. that he exhibits later on. But yeah, that definitely could be it. He has a conversation with Night Eyes now talking about this road. He asks what's wrong with it. That I shook himself all over as if to rid his coat of water. It is too much of man. Like a fire to cook meat over. I do not understand. He lay back his ears. Like a great force made small and bent to a man's will. Always fire seeks a way to escape confinement. So does this road. His answer made no sense to me. Then we came to the road. And he describes it here that it is very, very level, very, very straight. Nothing is growing on it. There's hardly any snow on it. It just seems unnatural kind of cutting through this land. Right. I also thought it was really interesting that it is lower than the rest of the ground around it. And none of the roots of the trees have grown under or over it that we can tell. That was interesting to me because it's kind of like how archaeologists have to dig deep to find remnants of previous civilization because the earth just naturally layers dirt and dust on top of the old surface. And so it was kind of cool to see this little mention of the rest of the world has like created that dirt and dust around it and created this ground higher up. And here is this road still at the level it was when it was made. Mm -hmm. I thought that was really interesting. I stepped down onto the road's surface. It was like walking into trailing cobwebs face first, a piece of ice down the back. Stepping into a hot kitchen after being out in an icy wind, 
It was a physical sensation that seized me, as sharply as any of those others, and yet as indescribable as wet or dry is. I halted, transfixed, yet none of the others showed any awareness of it as they hopped down from the lip of the forest onto the road surface. He stands there for a long time, and eventually, Kettle steps out of the trees and onto the road surface. She too halted. For an instant, she seemed startled and muttered something. Did you say skill rot? I demanded of her. Her eyes jumped to me as if she had been unaware of me standing right there before her. She glared. For a moment, she didn't speak. Then, I said hell rot, she declared. Near twisted my ankle jumping down. These mountain boots are no stiffer than socks. She turned away from me and trudged off after the others. I followed her. For some reason, I felt as if I were wading in water, save without the resistance of water. It is a difficult sensation to describe, as if something flowed uphill around me and hurried me along with its current. It seeks a way to escape containment, the wolf observed again sourly. You'd be wiser to travel up here with me, I thought about it. I seem to be all right. Walking is easier here, smoother. Yes, and fire makes you warmer, right up until the time it burns you. So they reach the skill road. The very, very weird thing in my right. first reread, or first read through, excuse me, of this series. I was like, what is this and what is it doing? <laughs> I was so intrigued. I thought it was so cool. I'm like, oh yeah, baby, magic, let's go. <laughs> Um, I also think it's very cool that Fitz is noticing some weirdness, but can't quite verbalize that aloud. Like when Starling jumps onto the road, she mentions that the snow is a lot thinner here. It's not as deep. And Fitz thinks to himself that isn't it weird that she didn't stop to think why it would be less deep here than everywhere else? Should be deeper. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Since it's so much lower. It just it's so good. This overwhelming sense of something's not quite right but i'm very curious to know more so keep going and it almost in a way makes me the reader feel as though i am like fits i'm drawn to this mystery of figuring out what's happening i also find it interesting that nobody else besides kettle is having a reaction really we know that at least the fool can be somewhat controlled by skill, which means he is open to the skill in some way. I don't know if that means he can innately skill or not, but he is used as a tool to get information out of Fitz later. Yeah, and before he gets the skill marks on his fingers. Yes, so there's that. Also, Ketrickin talked to Verity through a skill link through August when they were married. Once. Once, but... <laughs> She was able to communicate with him, which means she is also somewhat open to skill. No idea about Starling. We haven't heard, but none of them notice anything. Kettle mentions later on, in, I think it's in this chapter. Yes. That you have to be basically half trained or just not trained well enough to block yourself from this. So obviously you have to go through exercises to actually open yourself up to the skill to be affected by this. It seems to me at least. Like otherwise you just your your brain can't comprehend how to 
open yourself to that skill or be lured into that because that is not a natural thing for you to do. But for Fitz, he's done that before. He's felt what he what this feels like. It's like his brain's like, yeah, I'm used to this, but he doesn't know enough to block it out. Okay, that makes more sense to me then, I guess. I know that she says that you have to be not well trained, but I'm thinking wouldn't the worst well or the worst trained person be someone who isn't trained at all? It feels like this is something where ignorance is bliss in this case, where if you literally have no idea about it, you're not even looking for an option there because it's just a road to you. Fair. And maybe maybe there is a bit fuzziness because they're not questioning anything. Yeah. At least we don't hear them questioning about what why everything's so weird Fitz is kind of preoccupied at this yes. point but yes so potentially they aren't that fuzzy but as far as we know they don't really question why this road is here or so well kept this area is also remarkably empty of game and life in general like he remarks you know no plants have grown on this road or whatever like that but we see night eyes in these past few scenes being very wary of this road and things by it and says it's very unnatural and that it is contained but seeking a way out of its confinement which is a very weird but kind of scary way to describe something especially when we consider as rereaders this is skill rot so it's a power that man has contained and confined to this and it's always trying its best to get out of that right Do you think that when this was made, they knew the dangers that a skill road could possess to people? Or was it still such a fresh technology that they didn't realize that, you know, something bad could happen in the future? I feel like they were insulated by their dragons, considering these were probably elderling made. Sure. So, and and we know somewhat that elderling magic and the skill are different because elderlings seem more so like Claris where they use more technology or you know inventions and pure silver itself to shape things and they are amazed by the fact that Fitz can bring changes in the elderlings as well you know, later right. on. I know those are new elderlings and not the historical ones, but everything that we see is just the dragons wielding that kind of changing ability. It doesn't seem, from Kelsingra's memories at least, like people had the skill like that in the past. So, to me, elderling magic is slightly different than the skill in, in maybe just the case that it's in a different form or wielded differently. And so they might have been insulated or again, ignorant of those possibilities in their brain and not have it affected them. It's just a cool technology that like we can do this. It'll retain the memory of being a road forever and never break and never, we'll never have to repair it. And right. You know, that, that sort of thing. That's interesting. Yeah. I guess I, there's also the potential that, The skill has changed through evolution, that it's been hundreds of years since the dragons were on the earth. So. Probably thousands. Yeah, potentially. It's just that this is a new evolution of the thing and there wasn't a reason to be wary, I guess, of Skillstone. (laughs) 
Yeah, it was a cool thing that contained memories, and that's about it. It wasn't addictive, <laughs> or I don't know. Maybe it was. It must have been, because they took measures to protect themselves. Although, maybe it just hurt. I don't know. It was, to them, since they were using pure silver and not, like, you know, the mental skill or whatever, they had to wear protective gloves made out of dragon hide to not get it on themselves because they knew it was pretty much death. Yeah, that's... And the only way that humans can touch it without dying with, like, that much is with the skill, and then... Even then, you know you are going to die eventually because <laughs> you have it kind of thing. I don't know. I've In my mind, I've always equated it to Wolverine's adamantium skeleton. Mm, how like, okay. how, yes, it's an enhancement and it's great, but it is also slowly killing him because it's like a super heavy metal. And even his healing ability is just trying to constantly heal him and keep him alive. Right. You know, like. <laughs> huh. So without without the the silver on you, you'll live a long life and be fine. But with it, you're super powerful for a bit, but you'll probably die. <laughs> Fair enough. I don't know. That's kind of just what I equated it to. Not that's a good way to think of it, I suppose. Yeah. And since like for elderlings in particular, I, I know we'll learn more in Rainwild Chronicles when they go through the memories of being a silver worker. Mm-hmm. Like an artisan with those gloves. Because I know there was a huge thing probably about like who is selected to do that and training and all that and the secrets that they have. Right. They had a huge culture around keeping those silver wells a secret and how they operated a secret, even from their own elderlings and city. Right. So it, it was really truly a sacred substance that the dragons needed. And it was a city built on dragons. That's fair. I guess I'm just wondering if it was addictive to them in some way, too. That's also part of the reason they had to keep it secret or I don't know. It seems like it's addictive to dragons. They crave it. Yeah. I I don't know so much as addictive as like needed. It's like a vitamin, you know, (laughs) (laughs) but they have all these game, this game to hunt. You know, it's I don't know. It feels like they could live without the skill. They just like without silver the, without. Know? Yeah. Without silver. They just like the way that it feels. They also get their memories from the silver. That's fair. They like unlock more of their like, this is, you know, who right. we are kind of thing. And it does help them grow yes. and become more of a dragon, I suppose. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Heat and silver. <laughs> There's a lot of questions I have about everything in this book. <laughs> So I I could go on about this forever, but we should not. We should move on. And so with no game nearby, Night Eyes kind of laments that he will have to range far to go hunting. And Fitz is suggesting, hey, you know, maybe you could go right now. And he's like, no, I don't trust you alone on this road. Fitz is like, what could harm me? Kettle is right here beside me, so I would not be alone. She is as bad as you are, Night Eyes insisted stubbornly. But despite my questions, he could not explain to me what he meant. And another tangent <laughs> before we move on in the story again. I thought that was a really interesting line there. That Kettle is the same as you are. Even though she is locked away from the skill, she does seem to be affected by this road. Yes. She is more capable of handling it. Yes. However, she is affected. And there's a couple times where she is kind of just 
lost in thought, even though she can bring herself back much more readily than Fitz can. It just seems she's a little bit more distracted. Right. I think this is really interesting because the only other person that we get a close-ish look at of being skill-locked is Birik, I believe. I guess also Chade in some ways, but we don't really get a in-depth, and that's when his mind is fading, so I don't really count that. Yeah. But we have the lock that's put on Burek, and he is not affected by the skill at all. But this does lend credence to maybe Fitz is looking out of the skill from Burek, if skill can still be, like, somewhat manipulated around a person who has proficiency even after being locked. I don't think he's skilled enough pardon my wordplay there he's skilled <laughs> enough or you know has learned enough or strong enough even to search that out if he could i don't think he needs to i think he keeps coming in on molly and nettle and burek and he has a strong connection to all of them yeah it could potentially be burek also that he's looking from i guess it's could be very unclear how skill work it works anyway to like view other people living life <laughs> it seems to be mostly thought and where your heart pulls you of course you're pulled into random scenes as well if the need is great enough or something you know somebody some... is calling out to you loud enough yeah, that feels like somebody's or... putting their hand out and just catching you as you go by and if it's strong enough you can be inside somebody's body and experiencing what they're experiencing, like Fitz does or Verity does during the raids. Mm -hmm. However, most of the times that he's observing Molly or Birik or his daughter is kind of just a third-person scene view of it. So I feel like his heart just kind of calls him over there, and he's drawn to that area as a skilled ghost, and he just views it and then goes away. That's fair enough, I suppose. All of the scenes seem to be from that kind of point of view, the third person, except for a few. Like, right. Th there's just a couple that are not. And it never really, like, describes how he goes, like, what what determines him going into a body need. or just, yeah, or viewing it from third person. But if it was need, like, and calling out to somebody specifically, why would he go into, like, the little boy, you know, that one time? Well, I don't think it's his need. Right. I think yeah, it's I theirs. Know. And I don't think his loved ones have a need so great that their life is on the line where they are calling to him strong enough for him to be able to get in. If that makes sense. That's how it works in my mind, I guess. But what I was trying to say is that this seems really weird. And the rules seem a little bit flexible as to whether or not skill is or is not affecting. It's a lot like how in the earlier books and this series in general, it seems like Elf Bark doesn't completely block off skill. Whereas later, Elf Bark is used as a tool specifically to block off. I mean, it is a mountain strain out island or out island thank you strain of elf bark that is a yeah, little bit a, stronger a lot stronger <laughs> it's noted as like a lot stronger okay so it's a lot stronger but you would think there would still be some i don't know so maybe it's just that it wasn't thought that far ahead or maybe i'm just looking too far into things that don't really matter well a big thing about your comparison that i just thought of actually 
was that Kettle was a skill user, Beric was not. Hmm. He was a king's man, he was just a well of strength for That's chivalry. Fair. Kettle actually could open herself up to the skill, which might make the difference there. Because uh, Beric couldn't touch it by himself, so something like that probably wouldn't affect him. That's fair, yeah. Again, ignorance like, is bliss. Right. His mind is not. <laughs> fair. Yeah, because that's how um, Nettle's husband ends up being. I can't ever remember. Riddle? His... Yes, Riddle. He also cannot use the skill on his own. Correct. But has latent skill. Right, yeah. Like the, I just call him a well because that's kind of how it's described yeah. once in a while. But yeah, like a king's man or a queen's man or whatever it's very, you want to call it. Yeah, it's a very interesting concept that some people are in fact born with skill, but actually cannot use it no matter how much they train. So mm -hmm. a medium version of <laughs> of the beginning and so he spends all afternoon walking next to kettle with night eyes off the road walking beside them but he's just daydreaming he has visions and he's walking all day as afternoon darks darkens into evening he says he begins to have notions of his own he caught his mind drifting in vivid daydreams, musing so engrossing that coming out of them was like waking with a start, and like many a dream, they popped like bubbles, leaving me with almost no recall of what I had been thinking. These are obviously skill dreams as we know them, and the skill road is just kind of bringing him along into the skill river without thrusting him into its full torrent. And there's a couple visions that he sees and relays. Patients giving military commands as if she were the queen of the six duchies, Beric bathing a baby and humming as he did so, and two people he did not know, setting charred stones upon one another as they rebuilt a house. Do you have any thoughts on who the people are? Rebuilding a house? Yep. No, I don't. Okay, here's my crackpot theory. Um, Tinfoil theory, if you will. Um... This is his mother and grandmother. Oh. Because they just burned down the town that he's from. Moon's Eye. He's not necessarily he's from, not Moon's, from but Moon's Eye. They did bring him there because that's the closest, and it has to be somewhere near Moon's Eye because he was walking with his grandfather and his father had to have met a woman somewhat close to where he was doing the business. I don't think That's he true. was just That's miles true. away in a field. Yeah. So I'm just saying, potentially, he says he doesn't know who they were. Maybe it's his mom and grandma. We know yeah, that they're that still alive. Be. It's a good head headcanon. Yeah. yeah. Also, I was thinking that it could be them either way, because last time we saw them, they were in Buck yeah. near the castle. And if all the raids are going on, maybe their new home got raided, and so they're rebuilding. Yeah, but I like to think that when his mind was going to people he loved, he also saw his mother and grandmother, or maybe grandfather. Either way, I think it's family members. It's a good thought. And so he is thinking about those thoughts and like, oh, they're just vivid, foolish dreams. And he remarks that Kettle broke in often on his thoughts to ask him trivial questions, to draw his attention to a bird overhead, or to ask if his back was bothering him. Fitz would endeavor to answer, but moments later could not recall what they had been talking about. 
I could not blame her for frowning at me, so muddle-witted was, was I, but neither could I f seem to find a remedy for my absent mind. We passed a fallen log on the road. I thought of something odd about it, and intended to mention it to Kettle, but the thought fled before I could master it. So caught up was I, and nothing at all, that when the fool hailed me, I startled. I peered ahead, but could not even see the Jeppas anymore. Then, fit chivalry, he shouted again, and I turned around to find I had walked past not only him, but our whole expedition. Kettle at my side muttered to herself as she turned back. So that's the part where I'm like, Kettle's also affected by this. Yes. But not as much, because she was distracted that she walked past everything. But she immediately was like, oh, crap. Let yeah, let's, let's I let it go. go. Yeah. <laughs> it also says that Fitz feels a sense of hurrying along, that it starts as a very casual, comfortable walk, and then all of a sudden there's this underlying... Keep going. Yes, hurry on. And I thought that was very interesting. They're trying to set up camp, and Kettle is kind of warning them off of setting it up on the road where, while everybody else is like, this is the flattest land we've ever seen in our life. Like, we're yeah. going to set up camp here. It'll be so comfortable. Yeah. <laughs> Kettle ignored them and spoke to Ketchikin. And we'd be in full view for anyone who stepped onto this road for quite a way in both directions. I think we should move off and camp under the trees. Ketchikin glanced about. It's nearly dark, Kettle and I do not think we have a great deal to fear from pursuit. I think... I flinched when the fool took my arm and walked me to the edge of the road. Climb up. Fitz looks behind and everyone's already packing up and moving camp right. to get off the road. He's lost some more time here, just standing. Yep, standing and staring. So he has a little conversation with the fool here, just saying, you know, yeah, I'm fine, but I've been a bit muddled. I don't know whether I'm getting a fever or not, but I've had bright-edged fever thoughts. The fool's like, Kettle says she thinks it's a road. She said that you said it was skill rot? She said I said? No. I thought that was what she said when we came onto it, that it was skill rot. What is skill rot? The fool asked me. Shaped by the skill, I replied, then added, I suppose. I've never heard of the skill used to make or shape something. He stares at the road, and he says that it flows so smoothly through the forest, a pure white ribbon vanishing off under the trees. It drew the eye, and almost I could see what lay beyond the next fold of the forested hillside. Fitz! I jerked my attention back to the fool in annoyance. What? I demanded. He was shivering. You've just been standing there, staring off down the road since I left you. I thought you'd gone to get firewood until I looked up and saw you standing here still. What is the matter? I blinked my eyes slowly. I had been walking in a city, looking at the bright yellow and red fruit heaped high in the market stalls. I don't know, perhaps I am feverish. Or just very weary. I'll go get the wood. So again, he lost more time here, just standing, staring at the road. Because right. that conversation happened, the fool left Fitz, assuming he was going to do chores because he wasn't really answering and looking off into the distance, comes back and he finds him standing there still. Well, presumably the fool said, huh, skill rot. Interesting. All right, why don't you go find wood and I'll go do something yeah. else. Like, <laughs> it's so, it's so cool how this is written because... There is no lapse of time for the reader either. Yes. 
it doesn't feel like anything has passed because Fitz doesn't feel like any time has passed. And it's very well written. I just love it. it. The mood is fantastic in it because Fitz isn't panicking about this. So the reader doesn't panic. It's just like, (laughs) oh, this is something that is weird and confusing. What's happening to Fitz? And it's just kind of a mystery and not really like something is terribly wrong until, you know, the fool is described as having like a panicky voice. Like something's really wrong with you. Mm -hmm. You get a little bit of doubt in your head and it's just like, hmm. I feel like my panic started rising the first time something weird happened after they passed the group. Because passing the group, okay, it's a little weird. He's a little daydreamy, but it's not dangerous, right? And then he just, like, is missing conversation and everybody's moving along and he is not. And I I feel like there's this underlying sense of something is terribly wrong and when are we going to find out? But also maybe it's not that bad because it's not really affecting. Oh, no, there it is again. Something happened and Fitz missed it. I don't know. I, I really like it. And again, in this second part here, right after this fool, this conversation with the fool for the second time after he's come back, I noticed this once in a while, and it is really effective, but very subtle as well. Robin Hobb describes and just tells you what Night Eyes is doing. Yes. Because so often we have him in his head and he can express his concern. He can, mm-hmm. you know, tell you like, hey, something's wrong. But we get the line, by my knee, night eyes whined anxiously. I looked down at him. What's the matter? I asked him aloud. That's so off. Yeah. That's such like a weird line to stick out that you're like, what is happening? And he replies and he's like, you do not seem to hear me. Your thoughts are not thoughts. So obviously night eyes can detect that. Fitz's thoughts are all just these skill dreams. Right. Like, he's not even thinking for himself. It's just being replaced by all of these visions. It really is interesting because it raises the question of, through the wit bond, what is Night Eyes seeing? Is he privy to the skill dreams? Because we know at night when Fitz skills, Night Eyes doesn't necessarily go with him. That Night Eyes always asks, where did you go? What Mm -hmm. is happening? And sometimes Fitz explains. But in this, potentially, Night Eyes has more of a grasp of what's happening. Maybe he's seeing the images with Fitz, the images that aren't there. And it would be a little scary because that's not Fitz's thought. Mm-hmm. And I feel like if there were a place where Night Eyes would be able to tap into the skill through Fitz, it might be here where the skill is so strong. Fitz tells Night Eyes to go and hunt. I can feel your hunger. He replies, and I feel yours. He answered ominously. <laughs> right. Which, Obviously not talking about. Talking about the Skill River, you know. Yeah. Yeah, not about food hunger. Wish for oblivion. He says to the fool here, have you ever been studying something tremendously interesting only to suddenly look up and realize hours have passed? That is how I feel just now. You are frightening me, he informed me quietly. You speak much as King Shrew did in the days he was weakening. But he was drugged then against pain, I pointed out, and I am not. That is what is frightening. Which I thought was also an interesting comparison because we know that Shrew's skill was fraying. Yes. He was constantly kind of 
in my mind visualizing kind of rubbing up against the skill river and mm-hmm. parts of him were kind of like tattering always on the edge of just kind of being released out into it and this feels kind of if if it's compared it's kind of similar to what is happening to Fitz he's just brushing up constantly against the skill river but not aware that it's happening so it's it's just that subtle like we'll take you under if you just sit here yeah it does raise the question of whether the mental deterioration is coming from the skill for shrewd and later for his brother (laughs) chade that there is this going away and not being fully there but yet still being somewhat cognizant which is a real life thing we have alzheimer's we have dementia or just you know the weakening of the mind as you age too yeah definitely possible but i think in this world where magic is a thing and is possible and Fitz is exhibiting signs that is reminding the fool of shrewd i wonder if part of that going was skill-based especially because for shrewd at least he was having people like drain him of skill he he had the skill users taking from him which potentially could also have negative side effects because the skill is getting used without your consent much like what is happening to Fitz now Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah, it's pretty scary but definitely like fits in with everything yeah they head back to camp camp is pretty much all set up here kettle is kind of warily asking how he's doing says he's fine again he's staring off into space and tries to head back towards the road and kettle calls him out for it saying hey where are you going and then seems surprised by her own question says oh is i mean is night eyes around like are you gonna go hunt with him (laughs) and fitz answers distractedly and eventually just kind of talks to her over his shoulder as he's walking down towards the skill road because he just wants to see it again right it's that lure it starts as looking for something to do and turning into, oh, yeah, no, I, I want to go see the road. That's I, what I was going yeah, to do. I do have something to do. Yeah. yeah. Go down here. And so Kettle calls after uh, Starling or Ketrickin, either one, says, go get, go and get him, girl. And Fitz, I heard Starling call, but it was the fool who came up with me and took me by my arm. Come back to the tent, he urged me, tugging at my arm. I just want to have another look at the road. It's dark. You'll see nothing now. Wait until morning when we're traveling on it again. For now, come back to the tent. You're the one who is acting strange, fool. You'd not say that had you seen the look on your face but a moment ago. So he's very irritable that he's being pulled away from this road. And to everyone else, it's obvious that something is pretty wrong here. Right. And to Fitz, it's just like, just let me go look at the road. It's not that weird. Yeah. Fitz is like, um, yeah, obviously I want to see the road. Like, it's a come cool on. road. Come it's, on. It's really bro. cool. You don't understand. Okay. <laughs> and everybody's like, no, we saw it. It's pretty, pretty lame. I'm wondering if in their mind, because they don't know much about the skill, if this is like, oh, what if the road is cursed? Or like... (laughs) (laughs) I think they just think he has a fever. Or like, is something, you know, something is wrong with his healing. Something like that. Because they have no concept of the skill. Yeah, Kettle's the only one is like, no, it's definitely the road. Everyone's like, we can camp on the road and it's fine. He just needs a 
a comfortable place to lay down. Yeah. And Kittle's like, no, get off. <laughs> get off the road. <laughs> Everybody else is like, it's weird that he's obsessed with the road, but I don't think it's the road. <laughs> Us talking about that right now just makes me, th- made me picture Kettle as Frodo in the Fellowship of the Ring movie, where they're all collecting <laughs> mushrooms and stuff, and he's just looking down the road and says, get off the road, because he can sense the <laughs> Black Rider coming or whatever. And that's Kettle just saying, get off the road. It's dangerous. And Fitz is in the back just eating mushrooms. <laughs> like, what? This is a cool road. <laughs> it grows mushrooms, you know? <laughs> he comes back to the group. And everyone's kind of looking at him. So he gets his mug of tea, sits down and says, what? Because <laughs> he still doesn't think anything's weird. Yeah. He knows that he feels off. He knows something is wrong. But it's not that concerning. And it just makes sense. So Ketrickin tells him, hey, you're not going to take a watch tonight. And then commands him after he argues that, no, you're going to stay in the tent and rest. And then she bluntly asks, what distracts you? And Fitz has to kind of struggle for words because he doesn't really know. And it's really hard to explain for him. So he thinks about it. And, you know, with him saying, like, what's wrong? Like, nothing's wrong with me. And then him explaining this. He does know subconsciously, but he has to think about it. You know, what's what's distracting him and what's wrong. Right. So he thinks about it here. And he goes into a little descriptor of the skill, things that we know. Basically, the skill will tell you apart or you'll be absorbed by it if you don't pay attention and have a tight rein on what you want to do and your intent. He lifts his eyes from the fire after saying that, looks around, and everyone was still safe for Kettle, who is nodding ever so slightly. So he kind of notes that detail, tucks it away, like, oh, she knows more about the skill. Right. Says, today, since we found the road, I have felt something that is almost like the pull of the skill. I have not attempted to skill. Actually, for some days, I have blocked the skill for myself as much as I can. For I have feared that Regal's coterie may try to break into my mind and do me harm. But despite that, I have felt as if the skill were luring me. Like a music I can almost hear, or a very faint scent of game. I catch myself straining after it, trying to decide what calls me. I snapped my gaze back to Kettle, saw the distant hunger in her eyes. Is it because the road is skill-wrought? A flash of anger crossed her face. She gave a sigh of exasperation. It might. The old legends that I have heard say that when a thing is skill-wrought, it can be dangerous to some folk, not to ordinary people, but to those who have an aptitude for the skill but have not been trained in it, or to those whose training is not advanced far enough for them to know how to be wary. So that first line there, the aptitude for it but have not been trained in it, contradicts a little bit of what I what we were saying before. Yep. But I don't think it contradicts it enough. Because yes, yes, being open to the skill is something that some people have and some people are completely closed off. Right. But having an aptitude for it, I think, is something totally different as well. Like if okay. it was a completely untrained Verity or an untrained Nettle walking this and they were 15, just, you know, whatever years old. Right. I think they would be distracted the same way that Fitz is. But somebody like Ketrickin or the Fool who wouldn't ever learn to open themselves up to actually skill out, but could still feel effects from other people or be reached by other people. I can see how they wouldn't be affected 
Okay. Just like have to adjust wells. my thought. Yeah. Yeah. Not not necessarily wells, but just people who are connected in the same way, but just don't have the power or don't have that final like triggering like, hey, we can reach out. It's just like they're they can receive messages or, you know, communicate back or whatever. Or maybe they are wells, but so shallow that they can't be drawn upon, you know, just right. someone who has skill, but would never use it in that sense. Well, we don't necessarily know that these people are shallow wells, but they couldn't be used. They just haven't been because right. they're. Yeah, right. That's fair. So, I don't know. Interesting. Now I'm thinking of everybody is either a dry well, a well or a well with a waterfall <laughs> or just a waterfall in Regal's case because he can use skill. He just can't. He doesn't have any of his own. I think that's kind of a, a perverted use of wills that he's kind of letting <laughs> them leech on. But I guess he's leached on through somehow. Yeah, he has to have so, some, some way to yeah, control weird. it. Yeah, I don't know. I don't, he's the only one that we see do it. Yeah. So at least that we know of. However, I do want to point out that this conversation happens without any hesitation to talk deeper about the skill. Just last chapter, Fitz mentioned how he had to think very long and hard about what he was going to disclose about the skill because he, even though it's his queen, there are other people around and he doesn't really feel comfortable disclosing skill secrets to anybody outside of Verity. So I thought that was very interesting that he hesitates, not because he is worried about spilling skill secrets, but because he's just trying to find the right wording to explain what he's feeling. I think that, is in line with Fitz's character, though. Once he decides to make, you know, that choice of divulging something, he doesn't hesitate from then on if it's commanded of him. You know, he, he minces his words, he, he thinks about what exactly to say, but he was hesitant to say it in front of so many people, but since he was commanded, he did it, and now on, it's just kind of normal for him. He, that's allowed. He did it before. Keep going on that path. I guess I disagree because he was so nitpicky about what he was willing to divulge, even though he was agreeing to like he has to because he's been commanded by the queen. But he was still very aware of there are secrets that I'm not going to say here. I will give her the bare minimum. I'm going to hide things because I have to tell her this for her to understand. And there is none of that in this. It is. I think it's a big it's a big enough difference. I don't know. What did he hold back in the other one that he gave up in this one? You know, like what where where is that line? I don't see anything that is still held back or still a full complete secret or any hesitance that doesn't show up in this one because he's still very careful about what words he selects to explain. But he isn't be he never mentions that he's careful because there's other people listening. He's not mentioning that the carefulness is coming from a sense of sure. I don't know how much to tell. It's coming from a place of it's real actually that's a good question. I don't really know how to phrase what I'm thinking, which I think is a very different feeling. And then also in this, he goes into detail about how the skill works for skill users. This is a paragraph of when you are trained in the skill, you have to ward your mind against the skill because it's addictive. And if you let it in, then you will be swept away. And that's like very detailed. Whereas before it was like a two sentence, like to the point, this yeah. is what you need to know. I don't know. I feel like that paragraph is like day one lesson that he got ever about the skills. So I feel like it's just not 
I don't know. In my mind, it's just he he's still mincing his words. But like once he decided to. Yes, we have to I have to say things in front of these people. Now he's like has no reticence to do so. I don't know. I just in my mind, it just kind of like he made his decision and he's going to continue on with that path. And you see like a a difference between the two. More so a very distinct difference to Mm. me personally. So what do you think changed then? I think that he isn't under the influence of the skill road and that he doesn't really care because that's the last, the first thing in his mind is I got to get to the skill road. Mm, Okay. So I think he's not being as careful because that's he, he's fuzzy. As you said, we have definitely seen that in the past with him under the influence of drugs and things Mm -hmm. like that. So he's much more reticent to say things. I don't know. I mean, totally okay that you don't see it that way. I think it's good to read things differently, but this is one thing that I will take a hard stance on. (laughs) You're allowed to do that. I know, know I know. <laughs> <laughs> so Kettle is angry that she's kind of been called out and she explains a little bit of, you know, leaning into, oh, I heard these old stories and these old myths about this thing and this is what I know. And Fitz kind of presses her a little bit by turning to the fool and Starling saying, hey, have you ever heard of anything that was skill wrought? They say no. And then he turns back to Kettle and says, Someone as well read as the fool has not heard of anything, and a fully classically trained minstrel has not heard anything like this. How do you know anything about skill wrought things? And her response is, you know, I don't have to tell you anything. I'm just telling you things that I knew from long, long time ago. How long ago, I pressed. Across from me, Ketrickin frowned but did not interfere. A very long time ago, Kettle replied coldly, back when young men respected their elders. The fool's face lit with a delighted grin. Kettle seemed to feel she had won something, for she set her tea mug in her porridge bowl with a clatter and handed them to me. It is your turn to clean the dishes, she told me severely. She got up and stamped away from the fire and into the tent. Ketchikan pulls him aside, which I thought, the first of all, I thought that line was pretty funny by, by Kettle. <laughs> yes, long enough to... And the fool thought so too. I also love that her response to I'm to Fitz being like, hmm, they haven't heard about it. And she's like, well, I'm not responsible for what they have learned or haven't learned. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was also very funny. But it is a good point to press her on because she is hiding something and Fitz picked up on it. Even in as muddled a state as he is. Right. He's like, she knows way too much and has not told us anything about why she's here. She's not obviously not just here for the fool because the fool doesn't know anything about the skill. And she's his supposed white prophet, you know. Right. So obviously she knows more than she's letting on. Which is exactly what he tells Ketrickin when she says, do you think she's a spy? Do you think something's going on? Is she going to hurt us? No, just that she knows too much and he's curious about who she really is. But he does mention that he doesn't think she's dangerous. And specifically says that an old person gathers much odd knowledge in a lifetime. It may be no more than that. And he changes the subject. He asks, do you think it's going to snow tonight? Ketrickin says, probably, and we would be lucky if it stops by morning. She's not going to be dissuaded by that change of topic, though. So she says that, and as she commands Fitz to stay in the tent, you know, and if you wandered off now in this darkness and with the snow to come, we'd never find you. 
Fitz is like, oh, no, I'm not going to wander off. She kind of cuts in and brings it back to the skill, and specifically Verity. My Verity, he is more highly trained than you are in the skill. Yes, my lady. Do you think this road would call to him as it does to you? Almost certainly, but he has always been far stronger than I in matters of skill or stubbornness. Well, I don't know. Fitz is pretty stubborn. Yeah. I don't know Verity they... is very stubborn too, but that's kind of like a royal family privilege. <laughs> you can be stubborn because you're... you're the absolute right. You know? Right. I, suppose. I thought you were going to say trait, but... <laughs> it is a farcier trait as well. Um. <laughs> yeah. But it's also interesting because I don't think they've ever had to go head to head on something that they disagreed with, except in this verity skill command to come to him right because Fitz will always give in like i said to the royal family right the, just the relationship that they have they've never been on equal footing because Fitz will always look up to verity right but also verity's given up a lot i mean he got married to ketrican which he did not want to do and yeah. he waited to ask for money like he was asked by his father, even though he did not want to do that. I don't know. I don't think it he's just, a stubborn. It just feels like everyone that Robin Hobb writes, for men, at least in this first trilogy, is noted to be stubborn in some way. <laughs> that, that's like the main descriptor of the men. It's like, oh, he's just so stubborn. I suppose, yeah. Fitz, Beric, Chade, Verity. <laughs> Chivalry is not described as that, but he's described as super uptight, and he's not even in the books, really. <laughs> Trude, Trude is very stubborn. Yes. To be very stubborn because he could have gone to his child at any moment and had already decided he won it as punishment to himself. Yes. So, yeah. Well, there were other reasons, too. But I mean, yes. yes but. <laughs> so I, I don't know. It's just that that is just seems. Hans isn't described as stubborn. That's true. But that's like the only character that gets also, more than one chapter. That is not described. Uh, it's his friends from the docks. Okay, they don't even get like one chapter. <laughs> they get a half and like maybe a page of the other one when he's they... decided that he's a forged one. And then he's just stubborn and wanting to <laughs> kill somebody else, you know? <laughs> okay, fair enough. Fair enough. But the women are pretty stubborn too. They are stubborn yes, women. Yes. So. Yeah. <laughs> a sad smile tweaked her lips. Yes, he is stubborn. That one. She sighed suddenly, heavily. Would that we were only a man and woman, living far from both sea and mountains. Would that things were simple for us. I wish for that as well, I said quietly. I wish for blisters on my hands from simple work and Molly's candles lighting our home. I hope you get that, Fitz, Ketrickin said quietly. I truly do. But we've a long road to tread between here and there. That we do, I agreed. And a sort of peace bloomed between us. I did not doubt that if circumstances demanded it, she would take my daughter for the throne. But she could no more have changed her attitude about duty and sacrifice than she could have changed the blood and bones of her body. It was who she was. It was not that she wished to take my child from me. All I needed to do to keep my daughter was to bring her husband safely back to her. <sighs> Peace kind of blooms. It's pretty yeah. good. I'm glad that they finally made up. Officially, they have found a good ground to make peace. I do 
find it ironic that Fitz doesn't realize that his dream is also Ketrickin's and she's giving it up. And she's not whining and complaining because she doesn't actually get that dream. And she doesn't constantly bemoan the fact that she doesn't get it. She just finds a new dream and goes off of that and does what what she can with what she's given. And instead of acknowledging that part of this exchange, he's just like, oh, well, that's just who Ketrickin is. She's going to take my baby if she can, but I'll just have to find a reason for her not to. And it kind of makes me sad because I wish Fitz would take these examples of everybody has something about life that they wish they could change. And there are ways to like See, I, make the best. I, I agree with the core of what you said, but I think it's unfair of how you made the argument. Okay. We're seeing Fitz from a first person point of view. We get in his head all of the whining and complaining he does. Ketrickin could have the same exact thoughts and we don't know. She could be like, hey, I, I really wish I didn't have to be a sacrifice. I, you know, she could be doing that constantly. Like, I wish we could just run away. Right. For Fitz, he has a lot of internal monologue about running away and about not wanting to do his things. Yes, he had those confrontations in jean when he found out they were going to take his daughter. And yes, that's like rightfully angry. Like, yeah, I just want to go, you know, be a simple farmer or whatever. But I just, I don't know. I think it's slightly unfair. Okay. Well, I will say Fitz complains about it to Chade all of the time. He has his whole life and has always bemoaned how unfair it is that he's an assassin. That is something he says out loud to Chade a lot. Uh, he also complains to Burek about it throughout life of how he wishes he weren't a bastard and that he could just be somebody else. Ketrick can could have done the same thing to her father or to her brother. I suppose to the people around her, just not Fitz. Yeah. We just we just don't know. That's, that's why fair. that's what my, the heart okay. of my argument is. That maybe you're, she you're also assuming that she is like the picturesque, like I will be perfect and throw away <laughs> this hope for the betterment of the whole world, right. which she is portrayed as. But again, we're seeing it through Fitz's eyes and he's always comparing himself to other people around him. That's fair. That you know what? That is a fair in, in a negative light. I should yes. say. Yeah. yeah. That's fair. I guess that maybe we just aren't privy to all the time she complains and this is like the first time and only time no she does say one other time in a later series that she wishes things were different Mm -hmm. but for the most part we don't get to be privy to her innermost thoughts i will say that personally i do believe that ketrickin is very 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 100 percent committed to that sacrifice life and that philosophy right and that she is kind of just yes, we have to do this for the betterment of all the six duchies and Mountain Kingdom and kind of hopes for in the back of her mind that things could have turned out different but doesn't pine after it as much as Fitz. I was just making that argument right? because I thought it was a little bit too overzealous against Fitz's thoughts. To be fair, I just was thinking about how when Ketrigan first comes to the castle, she complains a lot. Not necessarily about her lot in life, but... Well, a little bit because her husband doesn't pay attention to her and how she wishes that he would and how she hates being a lady and a lady of the buckkeep. She just hates the whole show of it. So I guess she also has her complaints that she. Nobody's perfect. Nobody is. Yeah, I guess in this incident, it just like frustrated me because 
you see this touching heartfelt like I am a woman who wants a simple life and Fitz is like yeah me too but you're gonna take my daughter and like I don't know something about that ruins the vibe for me and so it makes me (laughs) mad at Fitz but you're right I'm being very unfair because I shouldn't look at this moment as a whole but also all the anger is out of that comment that that's he true makes. it's just that's how it is. i have no doubts that she would if circumstances demanded it because that's who she was that's like right what she had to do to secure the future of the kingdoms but we both want this something else and we can agree on that you know that's yeah. where the peace comes from yeah i guess you're right i'm less angry it fits and <laughs> i get that it is way easier to say just accept life and what it's thrown at you than it is to live it <laughs> I will admit that I'm being very harsh on him, but. All right. So the night happens and the watches start to go through the different, you know, different people watching. And eventually Starling comes back in with Night Eyes at her heels because the storm is too much. And Ketrikin just kind of calls her in and says, storm will keep watch for us. So what she said came true. It is storming heavily. And Night Eyes goes over to the fool And in between the outside of the tent and the fool lays down, puts his head on the fool's chest and huddles close to keep him warm. And Fitz is feeling a little jealous. He says, I almost felt jealous, but he's feeling a little jealous. He is for sure jealous. Nedai says he's colder than you are, much colder. And in the city where hunting was so poor, he often shared food with me. So he is pack then? I asked with a trace of amusement. You tell me, Nedai's challenged me. He saved your life, fed you from his kills, and shared his den with you. Is he pack with us or not? I suppose he is, I said after a moment's consideration. I'd never seen things in quite that light before. Fitz then talks to the fool, asks him if he's cold. And the fool says, you know, not so long as I keep shivering. And says, actually, the, the wolf is keeping me a little bit warm. It's really nice. He gives off a lot of heat. He's grateful for all the times you fed him in Jean-Pay. Really? I did not think animals carried memories for that long. That startled me into thinking about it. Usually they don't, but tonight he recalls that you fed him and is grateful. The fool lifted a hand to scratch carefully around Nighteyes' ears. Nighteyes made a puppy growl of pleasure and happily snuggled closer. I wondered again at all the changes I was seeing in him. Fitz tries to fall asleep after having that nice little wholesome, heartwarming moment. The fool is now pack with Night Eyes and Fitz. Mm-hmm. Night Eyes has welcomed him in fully. But it's not fully heartwarming. It is also a little bit worrisome because Fitz specifically mentions more and more often his reactions and thoughts were a mixture of human and wolf. There is this sense of Night Eyes is changing. He used to only think about the present. Mm -hmm. There was no need to think about the past or the future. You just go with what's now. But here he is recalling how the fool helped Fitz and how the fool helped him. And that is a little weird. And so there's this little bit of... I didn't see that as worrying, really. Because it's something that Night Eyes had mentioned before, that we're not... You're not fully human and I'm not fully wolf anymore. And he had like mentioned, like, this is just happening it's what is the nature of this bond and how close we are so 
with Fitz remarking on it, it just felt like Fitz was worrying on it too much and worrying about himself and like, oh, I'm changing this pure wolf, this wild, clean wolf or whatever and making him dirty with human stuff. It just felt like Fitz's insecurities being brought up again, which didn't reflect for me on the situation as worrying more so it's Fitz being Fitz again. Right. And just his thought process. I guess I meant worrying in the sense that Fitz is worrying. Okay. Not like that makes sense, as yeah. the reader, we should be worried that right. Night Eyes is doing this. <laughs> this is just, I felt a sense of worry from Fitz that something is off in this, but he has kind of let it go in the sense that he's not dwelling, probably because the skill is calling to him too strongly to really care. But I do think he is a little worried about the changes. Yeah, he could be. I don't know. So Fitz tries to fall asleep after the, that scene there, that conversation, and he can't. He he just can't. He's tensed up. He's trying to. It's not restful at all. He's staring up at the darkness of the tent, and he wants so desperately to fall asleep, but the skill dreams tugged at him like tiny barbed hooks in his mind until Fitz thought he should scream. Most were horrible. He describes some of the forging ceremonies that he sees that are horrendous to think about. Most were horrible. Some sort of forging ceremony in a coastal village. A huge fire burning in a pit and captives dragged forward by jeering out-islanders and offered the choice of being forged or flinging themselves into the pit. Children of those people were watching. I jerked my mind back from the flames. So obviously horrible things going on there. They were offered the choice and the islanders felt secure enough to linger and offer that choice and have complete hold on those areas that they are raiding. Right. It's also a little different because before there was no choice of death, the six duchies people were bringing poison to choose death, but it was not offered to them by the islanders before. So clearly things have changed in the time since last summer. And... Who knows what that means? I think it just means they're closer to completing the dragon, honestly. Well, what they think so, yeah. Or they don't need as many forged people for intimidation right. factor because Fair. they have a foothold. That's true. Since the royal family pretty much abandoned Buckkeep, they don't need that leverage. Right. right. He also sees... Buckkeep Castle, where Lacey is carefully removing lace from an old wedding gown, her mouth was pinched shut with disapproval as she picked out the tiny threads that secured the ornate work. It will bring a good price, Patience said to her, perhaps enough to supply our watchtowers for another month. He would understand what we must do for Buck. She held her head up very, very upright, and there was more gray in the black of her hair than I recalled as her fingers unfastened the strings of tiny pearls that glistened in scalloping at the neckline of the gown. They are dismantling this gown to sell the pieces and parts for supplies. Not just any gown, Patience's wedding gown. This is her wedding gown, yes. And the he who would understand is chivalry. Mm -hmm. It is very sad, and she has really given up everything to save his kingdom. Hers now. Very typical of Patience. Yes, true. (laughs) And to be fair, I feel like Patience doesn't hold that much sentimental value to a thing if it can be used for a better purpose. Yes, with that caveat, yes. yes. Otherwise, I think a lot of sentimental value towards things with chivalry. Oh, yeah. I think she would have kept it forever had not this war gone on. But I also think that she isn't going to, like, lament the loss of right. the dress. Yeah. It'll save lives, so she's going to do it. Yeah, it's worth it. 
I don't know. She cocks her head suddenly as if, as if listening, a puzzled frown on her face. I fled. Fitz kind of wakes up again. Almost. Right. After leaving and after patients pretty much almost notices at least a familiar presence there. And he's trying not to think of anything at this point. Do you think that Patience is more skill-touched than the people that Fitz is around? Because she always seems to notice that Fitz's presence is around her. I think so, yes. But it also could be from familiarity. I'm sure chivalry talked in her mind a lot when he was gone. That's fair. She knows what it feels like to be. Yes, and a similar sense because... That is Chivalry's son. And so people, it's probably similar. That's fair. Verity does confuse him as Chivalry a lot towards the end. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay. Sorry. Continue. So he tries to think of nothing at all. Blank canvas. And he thinks of a smooth blank plain of land cloaked in white snow. Sinks into stillness. You know everything? And then he sees a rider charging through the snow. Another skill vision here, and it's Chade being chased by two horses. And there's a third one, kind of angling to cut him off. He sees Chade give a speed burst to his horse, which is amazing to see to him. And it speeds up ahead, but he sees that third rider catching up because that horse is fresher. They meet at some point, and they yell, For Verity, the true king. She tossed a bag to him, the other rider did, and he threw a packet to her. Abruptly, they separated, the two horses both veering from the trodden path to go wide of one another. The hoofbeats dwindled in the night. And so when the other two people who were chasing Chade originally pull up to that area where they split, Fitz can kind of hear, damned farseer partisans, and no way to tell which one has it now, and finally, not going back to face a lash over this mess. And they kind of let their horses breathe and walk along the path towards where they were split, and that's about it. Yeah. Which is also, I want to bring up parts of this. One is another unique perspective we see the skill being used. This is a static frame overhead that he's looking down on. He doesn't follow Chade. He Mm -hmm. doesn't follow the other riders. He sees them go into frame, do this thing, split off and go out of frame. And these two other people kind of come back (laughs) where they were. Right. And then he leaves. Also, what were they looking for? The pack. Either the packet or the bag that yeah, was exchanged. I'm, yeah. Which one was it? Like, what was it? That's what I'm curious about. <sighs> That's the hard part, right? Because which one of them had the thing? So is it a big thing or a little thing? If it's a little thing, potentially it's the proof of an, of an heir. The fake missive that says that Nettle is yeah, Ketrickin's heir and that there's already word that there's an heir. The other thing, maybe it's, I don't know. I don't know. It I could was be. thinking maybe just a missive in general from the uh, one of the outer duchies, like Dukes. Maybe it's money to help pay for Buck Keep's defense or something like that. We have no idea. It's I interesting, know. though. I think at the very least what Chade got, I think Chade just got supplies to go on on his journey. I think whatever was important was the little packet that he tossed to the yeah, female writer. Yeah, probably. I no idea what it is. Yeah. <laughs> Again, maybe it's the news about an heir being yeah. actually alive. Don't know. I do also want to quick ask, 
did you notice that they say damned farseer partisans? Yeah. So is Regal not going by farseer anymore? He probably is. However, remember the Mountbank or whatever last name is very prominent in the inner duchies. Yeah. And he probably in the inner duchies is the Mountbank. He is the Mountbank king. Okay. Okay. Isn't that noted before already? Like he, he's kind of known as that, but he will maintain being a farseer because that gives him control of the whole six duchies because it's more power. But inner duchies, he's probably known as the Mountbank King and the Farseers are the enemy. And it's just that, you know, ignore the juxtaposition of a Farseer ruling and saying the Farseers are enemies. Right. You know, just ignore that. Okay. <laughs> no, I, I found that very interesting because I'm like, hmm, interesting because there is a Farseer on the throne. <laughs> it's, it's a very, you know, hypocritical thing, but it's very human at the same time. Right. And also very regal. <laughs> yeah. So, I don't know. I just think that I thought. Fitz finds that he has the choice now after this scene, and he chooses instantly, or at least he says his heart chooses instantly, and he hears a wailing babe. And Molly's voice, with pent frustration that was frightening to Fitz, as she says, Be quiet. Can't you just be quiet? Beric's voice, stern and weary. Don't be cross at her. She's only a babe. She's probably just hungry. Molly stood, lips pinched tight, arms folded tightly across her chest. Her cheeks were red, her hair had gone to wet strands. Beric hung up his dripping cloak. They had all been somewhere together and just returned. The ashes were dead in the fireplace, the cottage cold. Take care of the baby, he suggested quietly. I'll get the fire going and put some water to boil. I am cold and tired and hungry and wet. She's going to have to learn that sometimes she just has to wait. Eric leaned down to blow in a spark, cursed softly when it did not catch. She is cold and hungry and tired and wet too, he pointed out. His voice was getting crisper. He continued doggedly with his fire making. And she is too young to do anything about it. So she cries. Not to torment you, but to tell you she needs help. It's like a puppy yelping woman or a chick cheeping. She doesn't do it to annoy. His voice was rising on every sentence. Well, it annoys me, Molly declared and turned to the fight. She will just have to cry it out. I'm too tired to deal with her and she's getting spoiled. All she does is cry to be held. I never have a moment to myself any longer. I can't even sleep a night through. Feed the baby, wash the baby, change the baby, hold the baby. That's all my life is anymore. She listed off her grievances aggressively. That glint was in her eye, the same one I'd seen when she defied her father, and I knew she expected Beric to stand and advance on her. Instead, he blew on a tiny glow and grunted in satisfaction when a narrow tongue of flame licked up and kindled a curl of birch bark. He didn't even turn to look at Molly or the wailing child. Twig after twig, he sat on the tiny fire, and I marveled that he could not be aware of Molly seething behind him. Only when the fire was well established did he rise, and then he turned, not to Molly, but to the child. He walked past Molly as if she was not there. I did not know if he saw how she steeled herself not to flinch from the sudden blow she half expected from him. It wrung my heart to see the scar her father left on her. Birk leaned over the baby, speaking in his calming voice as he unwrapped her. I watched in a sort of awe as he competently changed her napkin. 
He glanced about, then took up a wool shirt of his that was hanging on a chair back and wrapped her in it. She continued to wail, but on a different note. He propped her against his shoulder, used his free hand to fill the kettle, and set it on the fire. It was as if Molly were not there at all. Her face went white and her eyes were huge as he began to measure out grain. When he found the water was not yet boiling, he sat down with the baby and patted her back rhythmically. The wailing became less determined, as if the baby was wearying of crying. Molly stalked over to them. Give me the baby. I'll nurse her now. Eric slowly turned his eyes up to her, his face impassive. When you're calm and want to hold her, I'll give her to you. You'll give her to me now. She's my child, Molly snapped and reached for her. Burek stopped her with a look. She stepped back. Are you trying to make me ashamed, she demanded. Her voice was going shrill. She's my child. I have the right to raise her as I see fit. She doesn't need to be held all the time. That's true, he agreed blandly, but made no move to give her the child. You think I'm a bad mother. What do you know about children to say I'm wrong? Not babies, perhaps, as he's continuing to work on this porridge. But I know about young things. Foals, puppies, calves, piglets, even hunting cats. I know if you want them to trust you, you touch them often when they are small. Gently, but firmly, so they believe in your subject in your strength, too. He warmed to his subject. I heard this lecture a hundred times before, usually delivered to impatient stable boys. You don't shout at them or make sudden moves that look threatening. You give them good food and clean water, and keep them clean and give them shelter from the weather. His voice dropped accusingly as he added, You don't take out your temper on them or confuse punishment with discipline. Molly looked shocked at his words. Discipline comes from punishment. A child learns discipline when she is punished for doing something wrong. Eric shook his head. I'd like to punish the man that beat that into you. What did you really learn from your father taking his temper out on you? He demanded. That to show tenderness to your baby is a weakness? That to give in and hold your child when she cries because she wants you is somehow not an adult thing to do? I don't want to talk about my father, Mother Molly declared suddenly, but there was an uncertainty in her voice. Birk lets her take the baby. And the baby starts nursing. We'll stop there for a second. I read quite a bit, but I thought it was important to get through that whole passage. Because it is a great study of how her trauma and her pain from the past is affecting her. And how Birik is a great person to have there. And to me, honestly... If Fitz was there, he would not be able to fix that. No. It's Birik's experience, his his calm demeanor, and how good of a man he actually is. Right. That I mean, leads her through that situation. Yeah, Birik has a surprisingly really well thought out way of raising a child, which is kind of interesting because of how Fitz perceived his childhood. It's a little bit harder because Fitz got young Burek, which he admits to later, and that also he was a little bit more stubborn. He wasn't raised by Burek from the start. There's a lot of things that happened in his past to make things more difficult. And there was a lot of pressure on Burek, that self-imposed pressure right. to raise him just like chivalry. Yes, and that there was a lot of pressure on and Fitz guilt. <laughs> yes, to be perfect. 
And I think that it's really interesting to see that he is learning in some ways from the mistakes he made with Fitz, which as the oldest sibling feels about right. Um, (laughs) (laughs) The oldest always is the trial run. Um, But I mostly kid. But it is really interesting, too, to look at Molly because I think it speaks to the immense amount of stress that she is under. She just had a baby. This is basically medieval times so there's no concept of postpartum depression and that is a super real thing that a lot of women go through at different variations and you know it just is wild and to have to go through that without any medical professionals who can help you that would be so hard and the father of her daughter is dead to her yeah is presumably dead presumably dead yeah she thinks he's dead she's alone because she thinks at this point that birik's just helping her out briefly and she has to make her her own way in the world because that's how molly is she's headstrong and independent and she's like well this is just temporary i have to deal with this myself how am i going to do this so the stress is on her it's just Birik's temporary helping measure and she's young and was not super ready for a child this wasn't something that was lovingly planned out like what happens to most families who are excited and expecting a kid Mm -hmm. and have been trying for a child she's like 21 or 22 yeah and she accidentally got pregnant with somebody who didn't even know that he was the father and it just there's a lot of pressure on her not that it excuses necessarily her taking her temper out on a baby but i think it really explains what's going on in her head and gives her a little bit of grace in that she is doing the best with what she knows mm-hmm. and probably she is stressed out because she wants to be taken care of too and there is i think it's a very real sentiment that I have heard said by a lot of people that I know who are mothers or that I have seen online from mothers that when you have a baby, especially when you first have a baby, your first child, suddenly you don't get to just be you anymore. You're the baby's mom. And that is a huge change in your life. And especially for a young woman who is alone and who feels alone in this, Mm -hmm. that where is this sense of freedom and there is no surety in anything. And then you add on top of that, that she was mistreated as a child. The heartbreaking lines of her half flinch, her flinching, half expecting Birk to strike her. Right. Her getting ready and gearing up for an argument where he's going to come and advance on her and fight back with her right. aggressively. The fact that she thinks punishment and discipline go hand in hand all the time. Like you have to get punished to learn things. Right. It, it's completely heartbreaking, and Birk does make a note of that. Yeah. And I think it's really good that Birk points out, actually, you didn't learn anything but to be afraid. Like, the thing that you learned wasn't beneficial to you. Right. And now you can't even hold your daughter without feeling like that's it's not the... It's a weakness, the, yeah. Yeah. And loving someone isn't a weakness, it is something that everyone should do. <laughs> everyone should have somebody that they love. <laughs> Talk turns to Fitz when he was a child. 
Molly says, you did not always keep your patience when Fitz, with Fitz when he was little, Molly muttered chidingly. Spirit gave a brief snort of laughter. I don't think anyone would have been eternally patient with that one. When I got him, he was five or six, and I knew nothing of him, and I was a young man with many other interests. You can put a colt in a corral or tie up a dog for a time. Not so with a child. You can never forget you have a child for even an instant. Before I knew it, he'd become the center of my life. An odd little pause. Then they took him from me, and I let them. And now he's dead. A silence. This is so heartbreaking. It makes me tear up every time. It's just through the words, the guilt again. It's all Tiberic, all his fault. He let them take his little boy. And also, this is... I think the most openly Burek has admitted that he cared about Fitz in such a strong way mm-hmm. that he'd become the center of his life. Yeah. And Fitz had no idea. And I honestly feel like through Fitz's lens, I had no idea. I know that Burek cares about Fitz, but because we're reading from Fitz's point of view, I didn't sense that Fitz was the f- center of Burek's life. I knew that he was doing things in a caring way. I, oh, so it's so heartbreaking that finally he's saying it out loud in a way that is, there's nothing to misunderstand about this. And Fitz is in his mind dead. Yeah. It took Fitz's death for him to be able to openly say, yeah, I love my son a lot. And (laughs) Fitz is just like rattling the windows as a ghost. Like, like, please, dad. So Molly is despairing here. After a silence for a while, she's like, what am I going to do? What will become of us? Here I am, no husband, a child, and no way to make my own way in the world. Everything I saved is gone. I was so stupid. I always believed he would come to find me, that he would marry me. But he never did, and now he never will. And she remarks that uh, she heard someone down in town where she mentions the the town, Kaplan Beach, or Kaplan Beach, whatever, that an old man was recognized her and said that was the Whit Bastard's whore. And Beric slumps down, saying, like, I didn't think you heard him. I'm sorry you had to hear that. You are and she's like, You can't challenge a man for speaking the truth. And he's like, You're not a whore. I do want to back up just a tad because specifically what Bjork said is, had he not been half as old as God, I would have made him answer for his words. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) Which is the funniest thing to say about an old person who's rude. I'm sorry, but I'm going to say that next time somebody who is elderly says something mean to me. Like, if you were half as old as God, I would put you in your place. I'd throw hands right now. But also, mistake? What what God is he talking about? Right. I don't know. It could be either one. It's not right. really a mistake. It is There's... capital G. Yes. So. Yeah. But I, it, <laughs> what a funny saying. I've never heard that saying in my life, and I genuinely had to read that because it gave me so much joy. And also points out that Burek isn't actually that old. Like, he's yeah. only 10 years older than... No, like 20 years older. About 20, maybe a little bit less, but... But still, like... like Late 30s, early 40s. I think he's 40s. He he was 26 when he got Fitz. Fitz is 18. That's 12 years. So 
15 years or something like that, maybe? I don't know. You'd be 38 right now. Molly's 21, 17 years. Yeah, but I mean, regardless, he's not old. I forget that he isn't like in his 60s right now because <laughs> he fits his dad. And so yeah, in my mind, he's just he's, he's like 60. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> they have a little conversation about this. Birik is hotly defending Fitz's intentions and his thoughts towards Molly. While Molly is like, well, yeah, he considered me his wife, but that doesn't matter if every man who intended to make a wife of somebody married, like married them, there would be a lot less bastards running around, but that's not the case. Like, sure. The intentions could matter, but he never married me. And I think it's really sad because there is clearly something deeply wrong with the relationship between Fitz and Molly that Fitz is literally dead to her. Like she doesn't know he's alive and she's still kind of disparaging him and being like, even if he was alive, nothing would change about my situation. There is no faith or trust. And well, there was the whole thing before where you said, like, I always believed you'd come to find me and then you would marry me, but he never did. And now he never will. So, like, once he died, then she's like, well, now it's not happening. I was stupid to believe that. But before that, she was like, he's going to come find me and marry me and we're going to be happy ever after. You know? I guess. Yeah. It wasn't always like he's stupid. Blue. He was. Yeah. <laughs> It does feel a little bit like that, though, because she's she's railing against her situation. Right. 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 I guess. I don't know. I just think (laughs) it speaks to the lack of communication in their relationship. And I mean, it wasn't super fair that she left without telling him that she was pregnant because that didn't really give him a fair chance because he didn't know how important it was to follow after her. But, you know. Mm -hmm. They disparage that a little bit, calm down a little bit, and then... Molly says, oh, look, the baby has a tooth growing in. They remark over that a little bit. And Birk makes an awkward, awkward offer. I'll take care of both of you. I'm not so old that I can't get work, you know, as long as I can swing an axe. We can trade or sell firewood in town. We'll get by. You're not old at all, Molly said absently as she sprinkled a bit of salt into the porridge. She went to her chair and dropped into it. You seem to wake up with an... Uh, wake up new each day. Look at this shirt. Torn out at the shoulder seam as if a growing boy did it. I think you get younger each day, but I feel as if I get older with every passing hour. And I can't live on your kindness forever, Birik. I've got to get on with my life. Somehow. I just can't think of how to begin just now. And don't worry about it just now. He says, you know, soon it'll be spring, and then maybe I can go down to town, Capelin Beach, and get some work, and we'll get by. And that optimism sparks something in her and she starts making plans to, you know, make makeshift hives and come spring, they can go find some bees to move into them. And she starts to teach how teach Birik how to move bees or find bees to move into a new hive. How to find a bee tree. Yep. And use, you know, honey to draw them and all this sort of stuff. If it's a small enough tree, you can grab the bee gum. Yeah. And he says, you'll have to teach me how, he said humbly. She twisted in her seat to look up at him. She smiled, but it was not like her old smile. It was a smile that acknowledged that they were pretending it would go all as they planned. She knew too well now that no hope could be completely trusted. Which remarked 
which I remarked upon because it was very similar to how Ketrickin and how Fitz views Ketrickin now. Right. Of like, I can't just hope for something and believe that will come true. I have to have plans. Yeah. I have to have sureties in my life. Because while I, I don't want to compare tragedies, they went through similar losses. Right. Where they're just kind of, they were tumbling in their life and had no control and they kind of ended up where they were. And now they're trying to go forward and to hope on things for the future is nice, but they know it's not going to last. You can't use hope to make plans. You have to have some assurance that that hope will come to fruition. Mm -hmm. And I also want to remark that I think it's really nice to see an example of a man in Molly's life saying, Hey, you're really knowledgeable about this thing. I would love to learn that from you. Yeah. And like acknowledging, I don't know what that is. And you do. And you're the expert here. And I I just think it's really nice because I don't think Molly gets that very often. I don't think Fitz ever really told her that he, I don't think they had a conversation about how to do. Well, they might've in the unlisted pages when they were talking and stuff. Right. When they don't talk about what they're talking, but I don't know if Fitz was like mature enough to be able to acknowledge (laughs) a shortcoming without it feeling like he's admitting that he's Or, or something. Or even using that opportunity to go like, Hey, that's cool. Could you teach me? Just be like, oh, that's cool. You do you. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, I think that's something that you learn as you age um, and how to talk to people. And romantic interests are not just being able to admit when somebody else is clearly yeah. more knowledgeable than you at something. I think that's a good skill to mm-hmm. learn. And so then she says, if you'll teach me to write my letters, Lacey and Patience started and I can read a bit, but the writing comes harder to me. So a little offer of like, hey, I'll teach you beekeeping. Just teach me the rest of my letters. And Birik's like, yeah, I'll teach you. And then you can teach Nettle. Nettle. She named my daughter Nettle after the herb she loves. Though it leaves great rashes on her hands and arms as if she is careless when she gathers it. Is that how she felt about our daughter? That she brought pain even as she brought enjoyment? It pained me to think it was so. Something tugged at my attention, but I clung fiercely where I was. If this was as close as I could come to Molly right now, then I would take what I could come and cling to. No, Verity spoke firmly. Come away now. You put them in danger. Before I move on, I just want to remark, he finds out that his daughter's name is Nettle here. Yes, we finally are revealed. We've been saying Nettle so long that Mm -hmm. I forgot we don't know. Yes, Um. (laughs) just my daughter, our daughter. Yes. But Nettle, and I think it's really cute that she's named after an herb that Molly loves. Mm -hmm. Even if it does have a little bit of an allergic reaction, I want to believe that it wasn't about the if you're careless, you get hurt sort of messaging. I think it's just... Fits Nettle later on. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly. (laughs) But, yeah, I think it's really beautiful. So Verity pulls him away, warning him again, saying, hey... They wouldn't hesitate or scruple to destroy the people that you love to hurt you and me. Don't put them in danger. They will weaken you as they can. Abruptly, I was with Verity. He was somewhere cold and windy and dark. I tried to see more of what was around us, but he blocked my eyes. So effortlessly, he had brought me here against my will. So effortlessly, he closed off my vision. The strength of skill in him was frightening. 
Yet I could sense he was tired, weary almost to death despite this vast power. The skill was like a strong stallion, and Verdi was the fraying rope that tethers it. It pulled at him every minute, and every minute he resisted it. We are coming to you. I know. Hurry, and do this no more. Think of them no more. Give no thought at all to the names of those who would do us harm. Every whisper here is a shout. They have powers you do not imagine and strengths you cannot defy. Where you go, your enemies may follow, so leave no trail. But where are you? I demanded as he thrust me away from him. Find me, he commanded, and slammed me back into my own body and life. Fitz sits up, gasps for breath. The fool asks him if he's okay. He says no. Lays back down beside the fool, too tired to think. Starts to shiver from the sweat that was on him from those skill dreams. Mm -hmm. The fool puts his arm around him and he huddles close for warmth, trying to get any rest he can. A little cuddle puddle, fool, night eyes, and fits. Yeah. And fool doesn't try to say anything comforting. He was too wise to try. <laughs> I fell asleep longing for words that did not exist. So Verity is very, I don't know if paranoid is the word, if it's an actual thing that he is worried about. <laughs> like it's I actual mean, it's dangers. True. Know? Yeah. <laughs> he is paranoid, but it's for good reason. Because at this point, and we find out later, they have multiple coteries. Yeah. They have multiple skilled ones that Fitz is not even aware of. Yep. Yeah. So Verity is right in saying, hey, don't bring any attention to you because it's not just like two people looking. Right. There are a lot of people <laughs> looking for you and you're in danger. He doesn't even want to say where he is or give a, a description in right. order to like draw them closer. You know, it actually took me this time of us talking for me to realize, oh, the reason he didn't say is because there's people listening. Yeah. I was genuinely angry every time I read this. Like, dude, seriously, just like, say, just tell him, just where. tell him yeah. <laughs> like you're literally right there. Just say something right now. No, he's scared of drawing the skilled other coteries to him so he they can stop him before he can finish what he wants. Right. And. Correct me if I'm wrong, but don't we find that the Coterie does end up making it pretty close to where Verity is anyway? Yes, because they have everyone kind of fanning out and searching and they like are marching behind them. But I I thought, no, no, no. I'm talking about making a dragon of their own. I thought oh. there were people like near them camped out trying to make a dragon. Oh, I didn't think so. And that they're like I didn't just think around so. the bend. I know Fitz and Verity go to the the meadow where all the dragon statues are mm -hmm. and fight them. Yes. But I don't think they... And, and I know some of them get to the quarry, but I, I don't think they're making a dragon except maybe after the fight... Before he finally, like, kills Will, Will is trying to, like, start his carving or something. I thought, I mean, this could just be a fake memory, but I thought that there's a point where Verity and Kettle are really close to finishing and Fitz notices that there is a coterie, one of Regal's coteries, making a dragon for Will, but that 
they are like not even paying attention to them because uh, they're so consumed in the task of making their own and they do not f- succeed. Maybe, but I thought it was like something like after they had fought and stuff. Well, I think they fits, you know, yeah. I, something sparks my memory with that too, but I don't think it's like close enough where they would notice. I think it's something that like Nightis picks up on or like Fitz is hunting around for like, I know people are here kind of thing. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like it seems something yeah. recalls. I don't know. Something similar to that. At yeah. least. I don't know. We'll find out soon enough. Yeah. <laughs> We're like halfway through the book, so maybe not that soon, but. We're over halfway, but just barely. <laughs> I think we have like <laughs> you know, 20 chapters left or something like that. So. Let me check to see what number the last chapter is. And 41. 41 is the last one. Okay. Well, thank you so much for tuning in. We're looking forward to you joining us for the next 20 chapters that we have here. (laughs) A little less than 20. 17 chapters that we have Mm -hmm. left here for us to go through. If you want to reach out and have anything to say to us that we want to talk about on screen here or on screen on your uh, favorite podcast app, (laughs) you can do so and reach out to us and reach us by email. It is fitshappy at gmail.com or you can message us directly on any of our social medias and you can find all of those links on isfitshappy.com or at facebook instagram twitter anything you want (laughs) so reach out let us know what you're thinking thank you so much for tuning in and looking forward to uh to continuing the story next week yeah see what happens So this week we have shorter discussions to talk about. Um, I'm going to start off with a really good point from Ellen. She commented on Facebook on last episode's post about how we made the comment that Ketrickin's being a little petty about <laughs> how she is just kind of making decisions and leaving Fitz out of it mm-hmm. and did say that she was kind of mad at Fitz and felt like Fitz wasn't trusting Ketrickin's competence, that Ketrickin has grown as a leader. And she's from the area. Like yeah. she knows what she's doing by traveling into the mountains. Also so. <laughs> made the really good point that Fitz didn't even know Jeppa's existed. And he's questioning whether or not it's going to be a good enough, like, animal to bring along. So his, yeah, I, I guess his concern that he never voiced aloud. That we didn't really touch on was that we touched a little bit on it was that with the wit, he would feel them die if they needed to die. And that would distress him. Right. And that was like his main concern about bringing other animals along or people. Right. He's like, I don't want to be reliant on anybody or feel any pain like that. And yeah, it felt like he put that above practicality right in some ways and, and it's a it's a good yeah. thing to circle back and touch on that yeah and to touch on the fact that Kedrigan kind of did need to change things up so that Fitz would get the idea that she isn't the same person he knew from over a year ago or she was unsure of herself and didn't know really how to lead she had moments where she was a good leader but I think she's really grown into her, her own and has had to learn how to deal without Fitz being there. And so maybe it's petty the way that she is going about how she's making the decisions. But I think it, as Ellen kind of phrases it, it's kind of a way to show her competence that yes, like she doesn't yeah. actually need Fitz's input anymore. Yeah, 
Yeah, she's definitely grown into her own person who's capable of organizing things. Right. Which she does. <laughs> yeah, and she is really good at it. Yeah. So worked out. Yeah. So thank you, Ellen, for that comment. And speaking of Jeppas, we had a very funny <laughs> email from Keith. Keith told us that he always thinks of Jeppas as llamas. And I I half agree because I kind of insert them in my head there, but I still, so I do this weird thing where I kind of just put in an image of like, this is what they look like from something I know, but I still consciously understand that they're a fictional creature that doesn't look like the image I'm using. <laughs> so I use llamas as like a basis of what I'm thinking of, but I also don't think llamas perfectly match the description. Yeah. If that's understandable. <laughs> I was kind of shocked when Luke was like, yeah, that makes sense. And because I thought, oh, what a funny email, like llamas of all things. But Luke agrees. So I would love to, to know. To, to some extent. Yeah. yeah. Maybe I'll put a poll up to see, like, if anybody else thought of llamas. I feel crazy. Like, I did not imagine llamas at all. I had never even thought of llamas in this way. Uh I more have thought of um, Tauntauns, like from Star Wars, <laughs> um, just smaller and without the horns. So shout out to the Star Wars fans out there who know what a Tauntaun is. <laughs> but yeah, so I think it's really funny how there are different ways to imagine these creatures. But yeah, maybe I'll do something fun on our socials to see what people think of for animals. For this Jeppa creature, which also I believe is the only like new creature. I guess we also had that mystery elk <laughs> or like deer with furry antlers that was mentioned not that long ago. But yeah, we don't really get any other fantastical creatures outside of dragons. So it's always nice to have the occasional <laughs> new thing. Yeah, so thank you, Keith, for the very intriguing idea of Jeppas being somewhat related to llamas. And finally, we had a comment from Amir talking about our conversation about Jade's name and what it possibly could be. And they make a very good point that Jade was raised on a farm and went to Buckkeep late. That was about nine or ten Right. Years old when he got there. So he wouldn't have probably been raised with a royal name. Maybe Shade makes sense because he would be a bastard and whatever. Maybe Shade itself. But if he was in the kingdom and recognized, which we know it's not, his potential name could have been Fitz Bounty as well. Right. And Following. maybe he allowed that. Fitz Bounty to die and then came back as Chade. We don't know. Also, Amir mentions that bastards were are and were allowed to ask for their own name. So potentially Chade is the name that was given to him by his father, the king. That it is his right to have a different name and to be named by the royalty that birthed him. Yeah. So technically could also be a name that I can't remember his dad's name. King Bounty. Bounty. Okay, I was like, Bounty sounds... These were... I cannot. This book, every time there is a name that sounds just a little bit too... Like a word? Yeah, too wordy, too <laughs> noun. Not proper noun. <laughs> Lowercase n, noun. 
I like second guess that, no, this isn't right. Verity, not a word I use very often. Regal, not a word I use very often. Patience. Well, it's different. It does feel like it could fit into a name. But like, hands? (laughs) (laughs) I What? (laughs) Lantern? No, no, just no. Shine? Not Those aren't names. I'm sorry, Robin Hop. We disagree on this. But anyway, so. (laughs) So thank you for uh, for expanding on that discussion. It is good to keep in mind that it could be a multitude of different things because of where he was raised. So it's it's good to keep in mind. Thank you very much, Amir, for that comment. Also, love the idea that his name is actually just Chad. (laughs) because <laughs> he seemed like he was a chad yeah big chad energy <laughs> young young chad energy anyway thank you guys for listening and thank you for submitting very funny comments and pictures of your pets we love to see them and hear from you guys and we look forward to what you bring up next week 